Welcome to Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast library of topics covering regulatory compliance, reporting, disclosures, financial management, and financial transformation technologies. Bramasol is the leader in SAP-based finance solutions and the co-innovator with SAP on developing and deploying purpose-built compliance capabilities. Learn more about Bramasol at www.bramasol.com. Hi, hello, this is Jim Hunt for Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast series. Birgit Starman's back with us. She's the global head of Office of CFO, COE Thought Leadership, Strategy and Programs in the SAP Global Center of Excellence for Finance and Risk. And today we're going to talk about the 360-degree view of um, risk processes and employees and accounting. So, Birgit, it's really great to have you back again. Thanks so much for having me back, Jim. So uh, why don't we start off with an overview of uh, what the 360-degree uh, view is? Well, 360, I feel, is a term that has been thrown around a lot. But if you look at the classic definition, it's really the process of gathering all the information that there possibly can be about a topic. So the idea is that there's not just one measurement of success, but there are many elements that are part of it. So a lot of times we'll think of 360 employee evaluations or project evaluations. And if you think about a project as an example, it, the success of it depends on a lot of different things. So yeah, there's the outcome and we're done, but was it successful and how do you know? Was it finished on time? Was it early? Was it late? And then when you look at a quality outcome to not go into a very elaborate project management discussion, was there a quality product, for example? We're designing a product and we put it out there into the market. Yes, we did that, but how do we measure that? So from a manufacturing standpoint, it might be very much a quality product, but what if no customers wanted to buy it? Was the project still a success? Did it reach its ultimate goals? So that goes back to what are we trying to accomplish and how do we measure it? And when it comes to business, we've We've heard 360 degree view the most when it comes to customers, really looking at the 360 degree view of a customer, but that can really be related to all types of business partners, whether it's customers, whether it's vendors and yes, employees. And with new technologies, finding what that comprehensive view is and all the details that you need to measure to really find out, did you have a successful outcome in those relationships, in those projects that you have with these external partners? Um, that's the most critical piece. Have all the touch points been identified and how are we really going to manage success? Right. It, it reminds me of the kind of tired old doctor's joke about the uh, the surgery was a success, but the patient died. Yeah, I hate that joke. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too but, uh, it's, well, actually, it's a, to put a financial spin on it, my joke is always with all the allocations that we do in a company, every profit center was uh, showed revenue. So it was successful, but the company went under. <laughs> that's, a, that's an even better one, apropos. So let's drill down a bit. And let's uh, expand on what 360 uh, means in, with regard to the customer. Well, with customer, we hear about it a lot with the customer, with customer relationship management. Now we talk about customer experience, but it's very easy to say we get the most revenue from customer X. So therefore, that is our most profitable customer. So if you look at it that way, then 
that's great. We get the most revenue from one customer, but we might not have taken into account some of the other areas. So for example, do we always have a collections issue with them? Do they constantly dispute our invoices say, well, this is not what we're going to pay because of fill in the reason. Um, are there a lot of extra costs because they always want an expedited delivery and because they're a large customer, we don't charge them extra for that. And especially in some of the more service oriented types of businesses, you know, what is the, the cost to actually get a project or what is the cost to actually deliver a product or to gain a new customer? And those all have costs associated with it. So if you have a customer that spends a medium amount of money, but never has any disputes, never asks for anything expedited, the relationship is great, they might actually be a more profitable customer than the customer that spends twice as much but we end up really digging into the profitability because of all those disputes, because of all those collections issues, because of the returns. So if you never, for example, factor a return into the equation, yeah, they might be buying a hundred pieces, but they return 90 of them. So they're not necessarily the most profitable customer. And then we can also drill down in more levels of detail. <clears throat> for example, what are they buying? Are they a great customer when it comes to one of our business units? Are they a, uh, not so great customer when it comes to another one of our products or another one of our business units, whether that's based on geography or product line, whatever that might be. So there are a lot of different things that go into that. And then to take it from there, just from a financial standpoint, that means that we can't just look at the accounts receivable general ledger account. There are other general ledger accounts that actually handle the costs um, that are associated with some of these other items that I just talked about. So if you only look at the accounts receivable account, you might not even notice that a customer is not as profitable as you think they are. So even soft outcomes need to come into that equation, which we're not going to get it from a GL account. But yeah, is it worth to continue to work really closely with a customer, but they're a great reference for us? Well, yeah, because that translates into profitability for other areas as well. So all of these things, it's kind of like throwing a rock into a pond and just seeing the expansion of the circles. Right. And I would assume things like opportunities to expand your relationship with a customer factor into that as well. You might have that big customer who's never going to buy anything but what they're buying now, but you have a medium customer that is an early adopter of new products you're going to introduce. And so there's more opportunity with them. Definitely. Definitely. And then yeah, it depends on the industry. So something like a consumer products, you're probably not going to work with customers to make something that's very specific, but in a lot of the engineering areas, yeah, uh, even, I don't know, airplane manufacturers or bridge designers, I mean, things can be very specific for a customer. So yeah, sometimes there's also the opportunity to work with a customer to, uh, to create a whole new product that might not have been out there in the past. Right. And, and then in the business we're both familiar with, the software consulting business, if you have a customer that you can build to standard and you can reuse the effort and the knowledge that you built rather than somebody who's totally custom and you're never going to reuse what you did for them. Oh, that's true, which is kind of interesting because that's, I guess, how SAP was formed, right? Because when I, when I started my consulting career back in 1990, Everything was a custom development project, everything. So the idea of, we called it at the time, packaged software. I was part of a Pricewaterhouse and the, there was a whole practice on packaged software, which eventually rolled into almost exclusively an SAP practice. Um, so let's uh, 
flip the script here and uh, talk about 360 with regard to vendors. Let's do that. And it's interesting that we usually, when we think of 360, we think of customers, we think of employees, we don't necessarily think of vendors, but actually it's it's critical to have a good working relationship with your vendors as well. As well. And that goes back into the whole accounts payable side of the equation. So a lot of times we really want to have strategic vendors so that we can, yeah, from a manufacturing standpoint, manufacture the thing, the items that we want to produce and then in turn sell to our customers. So of course there are costs of the ordered materials, raw materials, semi-finished goods, um, any potential discounts that we might get from those, from those vendors. But there are other factors that are going to impact the product that a manufacturer can even produce. So is the vendor reliable in terms of delivery when it comes to timeline? Are they late? Are they early? Are they just in time? Um, and there are actually a lot of manufacturing concepts where you might not necessarily want a delivery early because you might not have a place to put it in your warehouse. So scheduling of that can be very critical. And then also, is it a quality raw material or a quality finished good? Because if it's not, we can't just build it into a product because that's going to down the line, make a company's customers unhappy. So having a view of the quality of the products that a vendor supplies is also very important. So again, it's that, it's that rock that um, creates waves further on down the line. So it's not just a money equation. There are other aspects that go into it. But again, it's not just the accounts payable, but then also, oh, I needed to reorder. Oh, I needed to reorder from a different vendor because the quality did not meet our expectations from vendor A, so we had to order from vendor B. So there also we have to take a larger view of not just one vendor, but look at the bigger picture. Right, or you might have a lot of incoming inspection rejects from a vendor, and so you have a lot of product having to be replaced or delays for your manufacturing. Exactly, and yeah, if you're, that also impacts your entire manufacturing schedule. If you're a plant that makes more than one product, you might've already retooled for something else and then you have to go backwards and that impacts even other product lines. So right. all of these things can cause endless waves. And, and then another one that struck me, you know, thinking of all the data sources associated with vendors and so on um, and accounting practices, you let's push our payables out to 57 days, but you might have some vendors small ones that are really valuable to you that really can't live with that. They need, you know, prompt 30 days or discount um, quicker payments. And you need to be aware of that in your 360 view of the vendor so that you don't hurt the relationship. I completely agree with that. Although then I would expect that those vendors might try to renegotiate to get that net 30 instead of a net 60. But yeah, I mean, if it's kind of a handshake agreement and you are aware of that, then yeah, you might not want to push that out. And I think things like the pandemic have, have really brought those things to light also, right? Everybody tries to hang on to their money as long as they possibly can, but it does impact the entire value chain. Right. And then you mentioned um, uh, an oft-forgotten group, the employees. Uh, let's talk about 360 view of employees. Yeah, and a lot of times we talk about 360 evaluations, uh, which is not what I'm talking about here, but yeah, 360 evaluations for performance review. It's, it's not just from your manager. It's also from peers. It's from other groups that you work with, maybe even external parties like partners. Um, but in this case, if you look at a financial point of view, um, I almost have to go back to a whiteboard that I saw 
I think when I, my first, when I first got trained for SAP back in 1990, this was the mainframe R2 days, but one of the salespeople got up and she drew this incredible whiteboard and she said, yeah, when you talk about the number of employees, what are you talking about? The active employees, the part-time employees, your consulting employees, the people that you're still paying benefits to. And the point was, yeah, all of these are different. And depending on the part, department that you're in, you might have a different, different definition of what that is. But now when we take that into, say, the compensation to get a little bit more specific, it's not just the, the base salary. There are a lot of different factors. So there is the base salary. There is bonus. Um, there are different types of bonuses. Um, there are you know, additional rewards, potentially. There are matching programs when it comes to retirement accounts. There are matching programs when it comes to stock purchase accounts. There are um, options. There is um, medical and retirement matching. So when it comes to compensation, again, it's not just the salary and not just the salary and bonus, but really taking a look at all of those different things that make up a total package. So while it's not really a supply chain or value chain or, or sales issue, um, you know, em employees are really the lifeblood of any company. So taking that whole bigger package into account is also important. Right. And as you pointed out here again, um, you have a variety of, especially with consultants, you may have people who've been working with your company for a decade that are embedded in your culture, embedded in your teams. They feel like an employee, but they're actually a consultant. That's very true. That is very true. And that goes back into the whole idea of soft factors, not just a hard financial facts. But yeah, it's very true. But you're probably paying those consultants a little bit more on face value, but then you're also not paying all of those. Um, did they used to call them fringe benefits? They're core benefits, right? <laughs> Things right. like <laughs> medical bonuses and, and yeah, 401ks, etc. But uh, yeah, so it's you can't really put that kind of a face value even on that comparison. And then you want to make sure that you really retain the best employees for you, right? So it, again, can't just be a numbers game. Exactly. That's a great overview of the three key groups. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, in summary, how we put all these pieces together and how it relates, how it helps a company in the bigger picture as well. Yeah, I think putting all these things together is really where we've been helped by technology. Um, because I mean, even in the finance area, I know everybody in finance still loves their spreadsheets, but that's why you actually see a lot of Excel-like similar like, spreadsheet-looking <laughs> applications when it comes to finance, um, in, a, in addition, of course, to, to the graphs and the, and the overviews, et cetera. But having all of that information in one place, um, I would say, yeah, now that we have something like an S for HANA finance, we have all the information in one place because my, I think my joke, which I might've told you before, Jim, as well, I'm looking at my receivables. It's really great. There's something wrong with the account. I don't know what customer it is. Now I have to go to a different report to figure out what customer it is. Now I have to go to a different report to find out which products or geographies might be impacted. So the idea of having everything in one place to be able to take a look at some of those cross connections is really critical. Having the information in real time without having to wait till period end or having to wait for an overnight job to run is also really helpful in making decisions. You've got a customer on the phone right now. You don't want to say, oh, I have to run an overnight job and please call me back tomorrow. That's not good either. 
So being able to have the information at your fingertips in order to make decisions is very key. And then also having some of those artificial intelligence and machine learning processes in place to really help you kind of extrapolate. And yeah, one of the overall examples also is um, of having all of this information in one place is the classic merger and acquisition example, right? So a company is thinking about buying someone and there might be multiple companies that they can acquire, but they could also compare that into what it would take to create that product themselves. And so having some of that technology available, some of your own information, as well as combining it with external information is very key when it comes to that. And again, it can't just be one factor. What is the cost of the company that I'm going to buy? Yeah, what are other things that are related to that? Yeah, how does the cost compare to valuation? How, what is that going to look like in terms of number of employees that I'm going to be taking on, right? What is the different culture of this organization versus my organization? So the numbers are a critical piece, but as with everything, there's always that human factor that needs to come into play. So we don't want computers to rule the world. We want them to help us rule the world, so to speak. Right, and, and uh, if you adopted a 360 view paradigm and used it extensively in your own company, you've got um, a mental uh, structure, an analysis structure to look at that potential acquisition and apply some of those questions, maybe not in the same depth you, you would do internally, but you can get a feel for, you know, would their customer base fits as you expect it to, or would their employees fit in the organization? You, you have a structure to be able to gain knowledge about the potential acquisition. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see after the pandemic whether we see uh, more or fewer uh, acquisitions taking place. But yeah, it's an interesting concept you know, to take kind of what started out as a 360 degree review process and expanding it to customers, expanding it then to vendors and employees, and then uh, really expanding it more to even projects and strategic decisions for a company. So there's a whole range where the concept can be applied. You know, uh, just to, it brings to mind a question for me about uh, the big picture of obviously as the SAP based companies move to S4, there's a whole lot of built-in integration to be able to see across the whole company. Um, but I'm assuming that things like um, SAP uh, Analytics Cloud and so on can, in the interim, pull disparate pieces together and help give you this uh, 360 view? Um, it, it does. It does. I mean, it does the same thing for S4 as well, because we rely on that for a large part of our analytics ourselves. But yeah, if you aren't on an integrated platform yet, then yes, it can definitely take information from other external sources. So whether you're doing that directly in, in the um, SAC or whether you're doing that through S4HANA, for example, through a central finance scenario, um, yeah, ultimately, we look at the analytics in SAC, the, the SAP Analytics Cloud. But uh, yeah, it can pull information not just from S4HANA, but it can pull information from wherever you happen to store it. The, the, if you happen to store it in different places, you might have to yeah, understand those links and build some of those linkages into your reporting to make sure, for example, that you're not double dipping on a report, for example, or leaving something out. So that's another advantage of putting it on top of S4HANA because everything is already consolidated there for you. But at the same time, yes, if you have disparate systems or if somebody still insists on using a spreadsheet for some outlier office, you can still pull it in. 
Very good. Um, any uh, wrap up uh, that you want to add? Any tips or uh, final thoughts? Well, I yeah, I think it's important that we remember to not just look at one angle um, as we do any kind of evaluation. And it's very easy to say, well, yeah, I'm just going to look at the general ledger. But even as we know in the general ledger, there are different breakdowns, right, of different dimensions, whether it's customer, vendor, product, um, those kinds of things. And yeah, to be able to look at all of those different dimensions and pull them all together when it comes to decisions. And, you know, again, inserting that human element into it. So really being aware of um, going out and looking for what all those details are that you need to be looking at so that you're not surprised. Excellent wrap up. Thank you once again. I, I never fail to learn when I talk to you and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate you saying that. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks. Bye -bye. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast series. We hope that you found it helpful. To ensure that you never miss a future episode, you can subscribe to Bramasol at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Bramasol and detail on our solutions for compliance optimization and financial transformation, please visit www.bramasol.com or email us at info at bramasol.com.